I can't stress enough how important it is to just have as much contact with your fan base as possible. Um, And to the point of, you know, being independent and whatnot, being able to actually have that information yourself versus a lot of these platforms, it's like, you'll like people will give their information to the third party, but you don't get to keep it yourself because it's so frustrating with certain social platforms where it's like, Oh, I, I put out this thing about a show and the people that I actually want to see it don't actually see it because of the algorithm or all or anything like that. So it's like, you want to be able to have as much direct contact with the fans as possible And that's also a thing where it's like a lot of the major labels, like that's something that they'll hold for themselves, you know? So it's like you could walk away and all of a sudden you don't actually have the contact information for all of these people that really cared about you and care about your music. And so having that direct relationship, I think is incredibly important and just making sure that it's a, like you said, an authentic connection because that, that means a lot to folks. I think it means a lot when like people got a text back from me being like, Hi, like, yeah, it's actually like the amount of times that I had to send like a picture of myself <laughs> with like the date on a on a piece of paper yeah. or something just to prove that it actually was me because people were yeah. like, this is a robot. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. no, it's not. So I think just cool. like making sure that you do that is is really important. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com what's going on welcome to the new music business i'm your host ari herstand author of how to make it in the new music business the book the audiobook for the third edition has just been released it's out so you can go grab the audiobook if you've been patiently waiting for the audiobook version of the third edition of the book well however you listen to audiobooks now you can go find it whether that's on audible or apple or however you do the audiobook thing it's in your feed you can just go grab it right now as you can hear my voice is a little bit hoarse more hoarse than normal i just got back from south by southwest and my voice is recovering and this episode was recorded live at south by with the incredibly talented neo soul singer madison mcferrin we did a a, this live episode at the label coin roland house at south by actually the day that i landed i got I stupidly took a 5 a.m. flight out of LAX, didn't get much sleep, and then kind of rushed over to the house to do this episode. But it turned out great. I love chatting with Madison. She's unbelievably talented. She has gotten earned accolades from New York Times and NPR and Fader and Pitchfork, who actually named her a rising artist of 2018. Uh, Questlove dubbed her early sound as Soul Appella. Uh, she's been touring for years. She's played uh, Central Park, Summer Stage, Jazz Festivals. She's on the Colbert Show's Late Show Me Music series, and she just, well, 
well. She hasn't released it yet, but I got an early preview of her her new album that is coming out very soon, May 12th. I hope you can forgive me. Definitely uh, go pre-save that. Follow her on Spotify and all the socials so you hear when this album comes out. We talk a lot about the album um, during this thing, but we also talk about what it's like being a totally, she calls it, fiercely independent artist. She's completely independent and actually... Her fiance is her manager. And so we talk about what that diamond dynamics like and how, you know, keep it in the family, uh, almost literally at this point, and just kind of how she structures her independent career, the team that she builds. We talk about the various non-traditional team members that are on her team to make everything happen. She is really uh, starting to take off. And I was so fortunate to actually catch one of her sets at South by in a church. It was at the Central Presbyterian Church. It was so fun. They they handed out uh, church fans, little fans with her, her press image and name and logo and all of that on the fans. When you're sitting in the church, you could kind of uh, fan yourself as she played. And it was a great show. So if she if you see that she's touring through, I, I recommend checking out her show. You can find Madison McFerrin on all the socials. You can find all of us that make the show happen at RE take on instagram tiktok and twitter you can find me at ari herstan on instagram and twitter visit ariestake.com get on that email list that's where you're going to find the most up-to-date information we send out about the new music business there you'll be notified about new podcast episodes but right now just hit the pause button give us a five-star review on spotify or apple Podcasts if you listen to a bunch if this is your first time listening cool Hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button so you can get us in your feed. All right, let's kick into the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Madison McFerrin. Thank you, thank you. Hello. Yeah. So we are live here at South by Southwest. Live. live. Mm-hmm. This is great. This is a, a whirlwind. You've been here far longer than I think any other yes. artist that I know has been here. You're going on over a week. That's insane. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's been okay so far? Yeah, it's been good. <laughs> I mean, I love Austin. I have a great yeah. time every time I'm in the city, South by Southwest or not. Uh, but I've had gig. I had, my first gig was on Friday. My last gig is tomorrow on Thursday. Well, actually, technically, my I have a DJ set on Friday. So I just like. Well, let's talk on. about that a little bit. Tell me about the DJ sets versus these band performances you're doing. How long you've been doing the DJ thing? Uh, this is literally the first times I've ever done it. <laughs> How's it going? It's going great, actually. Right. I mean, I had it. I had my first one on on Tuesday or Monday or something like uh-huh. that, and I got a gig for Friday. So I think that that hey, went pretty that's well. that's not a South by <laughs> Success story, I don't know what it is. Especially your first ever DJ performance. Yeah. Someone saw you and like, you know what? You don't suck. Yeah. Let's, uh, can you totally. DJ this next party? That's mm-hmm. fantastic. I think amazing. Well, uh, very cool. Do you have the whole DJ set up and the whole, are you like mixing that way? Or uh, it's mostly Spotify in my computer. No, it's like okay. YouTube computer programs. Got it. Making sure that things sound good going Great. from one to the next. Yeah. A lot of curation happening. Yes. Well, I want to talk about that arrangement, curation, the whole thing, because um, you have a new album coming out. Mm-hmm. I want to get this right. I hope you can forgive me. Yes, my it's debut. your debut mm-hmm. album. And uh, I was very fortunate that I was sent this album about two and a half hours ago. All right. And uh, <laughs> I have spent some time with it mm-hmm. in the last um, 145 minutes. Um, <laughs> but it's it's, you know... People ask me all the time, um, when, as an artist, when should I release an album? And it's such a complicated answer because it's like, you know, um, 
it's not really just like when you have a collection of 10, 12 songs or whatever. And it's, you know, I think I was thinking about this as I was listening to your album and I, I've known your, your trajectory in your career, um, you know, since your first, uh, your debut EPs, which are just completely acapella, which is very cool to then your transition more or less into like more instrumentation and the production work that you did with your brother on your second, on your EP from a few years back to now this fully realized record that makes so much sense as like your debut. Like this is, it is such a representation of this is who I am. This is what I want to say. And I'm curious about like how intentional was getting to this point of I'm now ready to release my debut album to make this statement into the world. And tell me about that process a little bit. So I definitely thought that I would have released a debut album sooner, but then this thing called COVID happened and really threw off the whole trajectory of everyone's lives, honestly. Um, But I'm really happy to hear that you think that it sounds like the collection of like, this makes sense as a debut because that was very intentional. Um, I, as a music lover, it's been hard sometimes with more recent albums, they come out and it doesn't necessarily sound like it's a collection that is a part of a broader picture. Um, And I really wanted to make an album. I really Mm. wanted to make something that was cohesive and sounded like these songs all fit together. I also, it's only 27 minutes Mm. and I was thinking about it from the standpoint of, I was living, still living in Brooklyn at the time and I wanted folks to be able to hear the whole thing on a subway ride. (laughs) I wanted them to be able to like hear the whole thing on their commute because I, I mean, I'm down with you know, 40 minute to hour long albums, but it's like, you really have to set aside the time to listen to the whole thing. And I really wanted people to listen to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Or if you're SZA, 70 minutes. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I didn't want people to have to like break up the listening session of it. Yeah. And the biggest silver lining of the pandemic for me has been, I learned how to produce and prior to COVID hitting, I definitely would not have said that I anticipated producing any of my album mm. at all. I yeah. would have, I was definitely thinking about like, okay, who are some people that I want to work with? Um, but all of a sudden I had all this time to sit and I had programs on my computer and I was like, I might as well learn how to do this stuff now that yeah. I actually have the time. I'm not going anywhere. And so I started producing and it was really fun. And it was also something that kind of gave me the jolt of, you know, artistic energy that I was missing from not having live shows and being in those environments anymore. And so I started producing and I started writing some songs that I was really into. And I was like, you know what, I actually want to take the time to do this project myself. So I ended up producing 70% of the album myself, which was definitely not something that I would have anticipated. And Mm -hmm. for those of you who don't know, women only make up 2.8% of producers in the music industry. And it wasn't like I was going out there trying to be like, I'm going to be a woman producer. You know, it was just kind of like, this is how I'm expressing myself. And Mm -hmm. I... You know, technically with my acapella projects, I, that was me producing that. That's it's what just, I was going to say. It's just a different type of production. So with this type of production that you're focusing on, I mean, there is a band present on the record, but there's also like productions that you've made in the box as mm-hmm. well. How does that, how, like, how is your production approach when you work with um, 
players in this in the space, but also working with your production that you've already built in the box? How do they collaborate? Well, a lot of it was like, you know, I start with an idea and I get to a certain point and it's kind of like, okay, is this complete with just what I've done or mm. does it need something else? Um, so like for a song like Stay Away From Me, I did all of that except for it sounded like it needed some live percussion. Mm. I don't play percussion. Okay. I know people who play live percussion very well. So yeah. I hit up this guy, Kofi Hunter, and was like, yo, will you hit up, will you play some percussion on this? And like that added that next thing. Yeah. Um, there's a song on the record called Utah, which comes out in April. And it was a song that like I could hear it in my head and I was like trying to get it out and everything that I was doing on my own wasn't getting there. Mm. And then um, actually my fiance, who's also my manager, he was like, why don't you hit up Cosmodrome, who is my band from college? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I reached out to them and like they were able to add this live instrumentation element that like really brought the song the guitar to where it was. so funky yeah it Finnegan slaps. singer I mean, yeah, yeah shout out to him he's a slamming it guitar drives player. it it really yeah. lifts the chorus and so it, it it needed that and funny yeah. enough after they had laid down their parts i was listening to it and i was like something is missing something is missing mm. and i realized it was the only song that i hadn't added like background vocals uh, like of a bed and so I was like, oh, my signature, <laughs> signature thing right. is, is what's missing from that. And yeah. so then that was the final piece of the puzzle. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because that has been your signature thing. That's how you came out. Questlove called it Soul Appella. Mm-hmm. This is how you were essentially kind of came out of the gates. Everybody f- kind of fixating on, oh, she's this acapella, like this neo-soul acapella singer, which really you're kind of like looping the vocals I, I was studying. I, I've done a fair amount of looping in my day. So I was like studying the gear that you've you know evolved from like the boss looper to now I, I see you kind of have a laptop and you mm-hmm. have different pedals and stuff. But like that always being your foundation of vocal stacks, looping, harmonies, so much so where even like the counterpoint of what's happening um, with the vocal harmonies, sometimes it's not, it, it's like it can change the entire, um, the entire harmonic structure of the song when you put a band underneath it. Mm-hmm. And so when you started without a band and you just kind of had those vocal layers, it was one thing. Mm-hmm. And now with these new songs, um, integrating that with the band i'm curious about that process of this like is it did this process work the same like how utah worked where you're like oh i'm gonna just stack vocals at the end based on the instrumentation based on that or did you start from the vocal place that you have been so accustomed to for so many years it varied for sure there were um throughout the project there were some points where it was like oh i have a drum groove first and then I maybe put down some synth pads and then I have the vocals or other songs where it was like, I started with the vocals and then I went somewhere else. Um, the last song on the album, Good Night, is an acapella song. Mm-hmm. And that was a song where I actually, I had written like a whole other beat and then I wrote the vocal backgrounds or the background vocals like at the end of it. And Mm -hmm. then I realized that I liked that more than the other stuff. So then I just took out the rest of it. So it really has been kind of a back and forth of, of where I think it fits. And sometimes 
sometimes you need to, to get all of the ideas out to mm-hmm. then strip away what you do or don't need. Yeah. Uh, and I think that a lot of my writing process has to do with that. It's like a building up to then strip away. Cool. And is that something that you discovered on your own while working your production or was this, I'm curious like the difference in process working with your brother producing your last record or your last EP rather and then uh, this process of kind of being in solitude and working all this out together. So the uh, the songs that I did with my brother off of my U and I EP, mm-hmm. all of those except for Fallen were just beats that he already had and okay. he just sent them to me and then I worked on top of them. Um, the song Fallen was the one where we were like really in the studio together and like working it out because Fallen was actually a song that was on my first EP and so... And I'd called that first one the remix, knowing that I wanted to have live instrumentation with cool. it, even though technically speaking, his version is a re- remix. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that was its own thing. But then being able to figure out stuff on my own. I'm, I, I mean, when I was just doing the loop stuff, I'm somebody who it's like, I got to figure stuff out by myself first. And it's yeah. like probably to a fault where I'm not reaching out to people as much because I'm like, I have to prove this to myself that I can do it. (laughs) Um, And I think production was kind of the same way, especially since it was like, couldn't go anywhere. And Mm -hmm. she's like, I'm in my house. Yeah. So I'm just going to figure this out by myself. And also it was just like, it was a way for me to kind of release and just be like, let me, let me follow these ideas that are in my mind that I didn't really know I could follow before Mm. in the same way. So we're, how long have you been playing the instruments that you play on this new record? So I've been playing piano since I was about four, but I mostly just use it as a songwriting tool. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I know far more like singer songwriters who can like play the hell out of a piano and sure. sing at the same time. And yeah. that is, that is not me. I like, I, I have fine chops. I can get, I can work my way around a piano, but I by no means would be like, I'm a pianist. Um, <laughs> And then I took bass lessons in high school for a second. And so like I was playing bass on some stuff. Um, And then a lot of the times things that sound like guitar, which I do have a guitar and can like fumble around on it, is actually me playing the bass like super high up. Okay. Nice. (laughs) That's actually what's happening. Yeah. Um, But... Yeah, I, I think just like having been around music my life, it's kind of you kind of like mess around with stuff. I took drum lessons in elementary school, which I realized really fed into my loop playing, yeah. loop pedal stuff. Because I was like, oh, my time is really good. Why is that? Oh, because <laughs> I have a pretty solid base of playing the drums. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, uh, I mean, that's super helpful when it comes to production. I would mm-hmm. imagine is like you hear something and then you know how to make it happen versus having to just find like splice loops or samples right. and then you have to you know, like work your copy paste magic. But, um, cool. but to that point, actually, yeah. I part of what made me start with acapella stuff was because I could hear stuff in my head that I couldn't play, okay. and so I was like, I can sing it. Yep. I can't necessarily figure it out on the piano. And so it would just be like, okay, let me sing all of the notes that mm-hmm. I hear and stack those together yeah. and work it out that way. How has it changed over the years? I mean, granted, there's been a couple year kind of break, but people have known you as a looper, as a solo acapella artist. Now you've, over the last few years, kind of transitioned at least your live shows and now with your record. Um, and your last EP, 
into a much more full production playing band shows with the band. Um, are people confused? Are like, what is the response and reaction that you've gotten from your whole thing was I'm a solo artist. I loop. This is my sound. This is my style to now I have a band and I'm fronting a band and I'm a singer. And yes, I'm going to still integrate a little bit of looping and vocal stacks here and there, but like, has it been welcome? Have people been confused? Have there been anyone that was just like, oh, this is like, you know, the solo stuff made more sense or no? People have been really attracted to it as far as I know. Nobody cool. has been like, I wish you were still doing solo stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's funny how a lot of this stuff becomes full circle because it was like I had a band in college and that really was a thing that got me my chops as like being a band leader. Mm. And then... I did the acapella stuff solo mostly because it was like I I didn't want to deal with the band at that moment in time and yeah. I really just wanted to like I said I don't like asking for help yeah, yeah. to a fault um and I just wanted to really make it known that like oh I can do this and like you should get to know me and and that kind of thing and it also for a long time it made the most sense as an independent artist you know when you just have to travel with yourself and it's like my, my manager is also my fiance. It'd just be the two of us. We, all of my, my loop pedal could fit in a backpack. You know, it's yeah, just like a very yeah. efficient yes. can get around. Um, Cause it's tough to travel with multiple people. You yeah. know, that's just like, it eats into your, your costs. And especially when you're just starting and you're independent, it's like, you got to try and make some money, you know? And it's like, it, that becomes harder with the more people that there are. So a lot of it was like, this makes practice. This is the most practical thing for us to do Mm. at this moment, because it's like, okay, I can do this by myself. And so like, why add this other stuff when it's not necessary? Yes. And so the evolution of that has also come with, okay, now we're in better places where like, we're getting the offers where it's like, okay, we can actually pay people like, and like (laughs) not just be like, hi, can you do this out of just our friendship? You know, (laughs) just like like actually take care of folks and, and that's another element of it. But it really is just like coming back around to, you know, I want to show people just like the full vision. Yes. I, I wasn't intending to start acapella. That was not my, that is not what I was thinking. I was initially thinking I was going to start with an EP that was more instrumental um, that my brother Taylor was going to help me out with, but he was working on his album. And so it was taking a little while. So I was like, let me just put out these acapella songs that I like. And then that kind of took a life of its own. Um, So that like, wasn't, I I always thought like, Oh, I'm going to start with instrumentation. But that's just not how the universe planned things out for me. Yeah. And I'm, I have to say, I'm so grateful for, the years that I've had being a solo artist because I think it's much harder to go from playing with other people, playing with a band and then being asked to do something solo versus being a solo artist and then adding more people to it. Because at the end of the day, it's a thing where it's like, if I get gigs where I can pay a band properly, then I'm going to do it. But if I get a gig and I can't do that, I can still do the gig. I don't mm-hmm. have to turn down gigs just because I can't have a three piece band with me. Yeah. I can yeah. take gigs when it's like, 
it's just me. And yeah. like, I feel very comfortable on stage by myself. It's, it's something that I feel very grateful for having the opportunities to really learn and grow in that way. Because if the, you know, sky falls apart, as did, you know, with COVID yeah, and everything right. that happened, it was like, I had the ability to do things by myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has been incredibly helpful in my growth and my trajectory. And, you know, people have been excited to see me with, with a band. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's why this album um, makes so much sense because it integrates and incorporates all of that. You have acapella songs on the record, which is so cool. Um, and the, But you also are showcasing that this is the sound. This is your new sound. And honestly, like, I mean, the, the last CP, you and I with your brothers, great. It sounds phenomenal. Uh, this is a, it's a clear evolution. Mm-hmm. It's a step forward. It's, it's like, you know, um, musically you're going in these different directions. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's funny because, and we're going to get into this in a second, but I was watching some of your TikTok videos and they're like, it brings out, which is so lovely to see as a music nerd. Some of the music nerds are commenting on there just like about the harmonic structure and how it all works together <laughs> and so cool. I'm just like, yes, that's that's great. And so you have that and there's so many different layers uh, within the record. Mm-hmm. There. Um, so I wasn't planning to ask you this. Oh. I have a personal question for okay. you. Um, so you've referenced now a few times that your manager is your fiance. Yes. So, and I'm going to, um, I, I'm going to go somewhere where, um, my wife who's in the house right now is probably not appreciative that I'm going to go there. <laughs> um, I thought she took off. Now she's shaking her head at me. Um, so, um, I'm acting manager for my wife right now and she's okay. a brilliant artist and I was actually a fan first for years and, and just like was a super fan was going on all the shows. And now it's like, you know, we're doing the artist manager thing and, and we're married. Um, I'm curious how this relationship, um, as being so public that your manager is your fiance and how that dynamic um, works for you. Well, we were uh, in a relationship first Mm -hmm. and um, I was a nanny in New York. He was working on some business development stuff and he, I had a couple instances of like, you know, standard industry, like, people taking advantage type of situations and um he didn't want to see his partner going through that Mm. and he was like you know what i think the two of us could probably do this together i could help you out and it's been incredible we i mean the majority of the people that we come in contact are like you're one of the best managers we've ever met (laughs) (laughs) and it's mostly because he's organized and like responds to emails on time and and is also just a and he came in through passion not a disgruntled music industry uh veteran right and he he's he's never done anything in this field so i think he also has a clearer vision versus you know you meet a lot of managers who are totally jaded from just having been in the industry for so long yeah and you know as a woman in particular it's really amazing to have somebody by my side who i trust wholeheartedly and know is only there to like lift me up lift us up um and he just wants us to do the best job possible. And I think that finding a, a quality manager is like one of the toughest things as an artist. Yeah. So if it's somebody that you love, that's even better. 
I love it. All right. Makes me feel great. <laughs> Hope she loves it too. Is that it? <laughs> um, so, you know, I want to discuss a little bit of the business. Um, you know, in your, in the press release, I believe the opening sentence calls you fiercely independent, mm. which I love. Um, I'm curious um, if that has been a decision that you wanted to maintain independence, if there have been um, instances where, um, you know, or if that's been like, you know, if a label has, has come around and it just hasn't felt right, if you're seeking that, talk to me about what this fiercely independent uh, label or, or, you know, phrase is to you. So that's definitely been an evolution of sorts. Um, I got to give props to Ned, my fiance slash manager. See, we recently became engaged and before I would just call him my man a juror. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like I feel like, like I have to, you know, there's a, there's another level of the the status at this point so I have to call that out. But he was really the one from the jump that was trying to be like you could really do this on your own. Mm-hmm. Um I think he has a lot of perspective of how certain things work that as an artist you don't always get exposed to. And I think a lot of it also has to do with I'm 31 years old have come up in an industry where it's like, I'm right in the middle of the like old school, how things worked with A&Rs and being discovered and just getting signed and like they do everything for you. And the artist is just the artist and this younger generation of like, you can go on TikTok and make a song that goes viral. And then all of a sudden you have a gold record. Like, you know, like (laughs) I'm smack dab in the middle of that. Yes. And so, and especially being from a musical family where I have the reference of my father, I have the reference of my older brother. Taylor is 10 and a half years older than me. So like I've seen him in the industry as well. And your father, Bobby. Bobby Yeah. yeah. Um, And you know, he comes from the very much the like, he, he's just, He's just singing, you know, yeah. it's not like he doesn't know a lot of the the behind the scenes stuff because he hasn't had to. It was a that. very different industry. Then. Yeah, yeah, completely different. And even I went to Berkeley College of Music, even the stuff that we were learning at that time wasn't focused on being independent mm-hmm. in the same way. Mm-hmm. And so it was really Ned who was like, hey, like, I really think that you could do this on your own. Um, it's really just about relationships. It's about reaching out to folks. And I will say that I have been very hard-headed and was like, I don't believe you, (laughs) essentially, (laughs) just because I have all this other information that's come up in my life. And it really was just after doing so much stuff where it was like, oh, we're, we're actually getting all of this press without needing these other people. You know, it's like the pitchfork rising thing. It's like that, that was just the two of us. That was us reaching out to folks. Um, you know, I got on New Music Friday with the song Try, and it's like, that was us. You mm-hmm. know, it's just like a lot, New York Times, us. Like, yep. just a lot of things that it was just like, oh, th- this is something that, like, we're just doing it on our own. I mean, even with my first EP, um, this the first single off of that, No Time to Lose, that got worldwide traction because I personally emailed Giles Peterson. Wow. So it's yeah. like, well, first my brother did being yeah. like, hey, like you should listen to my sister. And then it's like, then we got that connection. It's like yeah. Questlove has been a good friend of mine for over a decade. And so mm. like having that be somebody where it's like, hey, like 
you should check out this stuff. Granted, he's somebody who he will say like he doesn't give feedback to his friends because yeah. he doesn't want to make he's them the sad. He's the musicologist of musicologists. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't think anyone on planet Earth knows more about music than Absolutely. Questlove. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's yeah. just like when you have relationships with people, that's kind of the hardest part. Like yep. that's a lot of what the gatekeepers have yes. is the relationships. So if you have relationships and folks that you can reach out to, there's so much that you can do now. And yeah. I think that, you know, there's been a lot of stuff that I've had to, you know, lived through to be like, oh, snap, when we got on board with these people, they actually didn't yield the same results that when it was just us. Like, mm-hmm. you kind of just get all this evidence where it's like, oh, we actually do have the ability to do a lot of this stuff on our own. And honestly, you just, you kind of get disappointed when you, you are able to make these strides on your own and then you bring other people on and it doesn't result in the same thing that you could do. And so then you're like, wait a second, so I didn't need you? And you're out 10% here, 20% here, 50 grand there, 10 grand here. Totally, and I I think that's another thing that, um, you know, I have to give props to my mom who she, throughout my whole life, I can hear her say, like, part of the reason we've been able to be successful is that your dad owns his masters. Mm. Your dad owns his masters. Wow, I didn't and, know that. Yeah, that's and so incredible. that's the thing where it's like, even though I didn't fully understand that growing up, it was like, oh, okay. And I think especially now, there are so many conversations happening about artists owning their masters and particularly black artists owning their masters because historically we have been taken advantage of in very serious ways. I mean, you, you hear about people who they had these incredible careers and they are completely broke because Mm -hmm. they don't have, they don't own their stuff. They don't actually own their IP. And so I think that once you really figure out, Oh, like, I actually am able to sustain myself because of the fact that I'm not giving away half of my money yep. to these other people who may or may not actually yield any results. Or far more than half your yeah, money yeah. in a major label yeah. situation, but yes. And yes. I've, I've been approached by a few labels and like I, the deals were things where it was like, you know what, I'd, even though this, this could be nice, mm-hmm. I still think that I have a little more gas in the tank to figure out how... Cool we can do this on our own. And so that's, that's kind of been the journey. That's fantastic. And that's so inspiring. Yeah. Snaps to that for (laughs) sure. That's, um, that's what we like to hear. And that's, I mean, yes, it's like everyone that you potentially bring on your team should be looked to as team members Mm -hmm. and where do they fit into your business? Mm -hmm. Because it's your business at the end of the day. Um, it should be. And if someday a partner, a team member, um, has an infrastructure of some kind of label or whatever that makes sense, all right, you can see that, but you've built up your career where you don't need them. Mm-hmm. And so you come in with all the power then. Right, exactly. And that's that's so important, I think, for young artists to recognize is that like the way that you can actually have clout and structure deals with labels where you don't get taken advantage of is by doing what you've done, is building your career for a decade building that up independently and then showing like, I don't need you, but if you want to come in and partner with me on some of these things, maybe. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to talk about as an independent artist, uh, you're in a, you're an album release uh, period right now. You're releasing your debut album um, without that infrastructure of a label. Uh, How do you balance this and, and, 
what are you doing behind the scenes to roll out this album and how much are you and Ned kind of um, working, you know, putting these concepts together and planning this out and whiteboarding? Like, how dirty are your hands getting in this process? And, and tell me about this process of rolling out this album. Real quick, I want to let you know about DistroKid. Well, I'm sure you already know about DistroKid, but they are partners with Ari's Take, and they are a great company that can help get your music distributed to Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all of that. Over a million artists use DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I have distributed some of my music in the past. And something I appreciate about DistroKid as not just an artist, but someone who studies this space is they have been one of the most innovative companies over the last 10 years. They came in and completely changed the game. One of the first companies offering unlimited uploads, and now most of the other distributors have had to change their policies to kind of copy and follow suit uh, what DistroKid was doing, and the industry had changed, of course. DistroKid doesn't keep a commission. That means you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings from the DSPs. They also offer payment splitting. They call it splits, something that, for me at this point, is a deal breaker. I don't want to have to cut checks to all my collaborators and the producers and everybody else that is owed royalties and owed splits from my earnings. DistroKid will cut those checks directly. You can get them to uh, your collaborators to sign up, and then DistroKid will cut all the checks to all your collaborators. And they were one of the first to offer that of the DIY self-service distributors. DistroKid continues to innovate. Check them out. If you need to get your music out there, districtkid.com. I mean, our hands are definitely pretty dirty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will give props to, we do have some people that we've brought on board with us to help us out. Um, who are these kinds of people? Uh, most of them are women who own their own businesses okay. who are really, you know, coming into to help artists that they care about and are really passionate about, which is really great. And I think that it's been quite a help just to kind of expand the team in that way, just to have some more insight also to not put so much pressure on our relationship. Sure. You know, that's, that's always helpful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And you know, it's always nice to have other perspectives as well, just to, just to hear what people are thinking um, are these are these women? Are they running like label services? Yeah, companies? it's a, it's, okay. it's a combination of like label service consulting and um, uh, PR. Cool. Uh, we're also working with Secretly Distribution. Okay. Um, for this project, and you know that that also was very intentional because that's just a distribution deal. You know, it's not a label deal in the same way. Right. So we still, you know, we own our music and it's Mm -hmm. like all of the things that we really want to keep for ourselves um, is like, we still have that, which is really important. But they have the connections they have um, that you can take advantage of their services and they're just taking like a commission basically of the royalties. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, but at the end of the day, it's like we still have our own team members that we call upon to help out with stuff. You know, we have a young woman in, in New York who is our main go-to person for art that we reach out to for posters and and all of the Instagram social stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we sit down and we talk about the concepts for the videos. Um, 
you know, I, the creative direction behind this album, like I made the first pass at it. And then it's like, we have a friend who is an actual creative director and she like built it out to like be something that's more concise that we can pass around. And, you know, it's really about at the end of the day, it's about finding your own team Mm. because you can take your team with you anywhere. Yes. And even if I were to get signed by a major label, I can be like, okay, but I want to work with these people that I've been working with because they are the reason why you are interested in this whole thing. Like you're interested in me and the team that comes with it. Yes. And so, you know, we're in this rollout period and it's like, I am not the best person at like multitasking (laughs) and especially when we're in a a mode like this where it's like, I'm doing a lot more performances. Um, I've been on the road a lot over the last three months. And so just having other people who it's like, they can help with a rollout plan. Mm. And, you know, I obviously contribute a lot to it. Ned and I contribute a lot to it. Um, but we're also able to, it's not just all on our shoulders. Yes. And so being able to have that and like, you know, just today it's like announced a new single. So it's like gotta, yeah. gotta prepare for that whole thing. It's like, mm-hmm. while we're in the car going from point A to point B, got to reach out to these different people. You know, I, I owe my mom a phone call, but I had to text her this morning to be <laughs> right. like, hi, I have a lot of stuff that I'm doing today. I will yeah. try and call you later. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, just like kind of making the priorities of like that rollout process, which is I love that. Hard. I mean, you're the CEO of your business. You are the executive and, you know, you're delegating a lot of these jobs to people that you trust. Mm-hmm. And um Knowing what needs to get done, you've now built this team of partners, of team members who can help get these things done. But at the end of the day, you know, you are the one in charge. You and Ned are kind of driving this mm-hmm. ship. And totally. so, um, yeah, there is there is a lot. But it's nice to hear that you have these supportive partners and team members who you trust who will, will get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk uh, – you said you're 31 um, – I want to talk TikTok a little bit. All right. <laughs> because um, I feel like for people over 27, uh, TikTok can be challenging to say the least or frustrating or um, as an artist rather. Um, I'm curious your journey with TikTok. You've seen some pretty good success on, on TikTok. Um and I'm just curious your journey of when you decided to get on, how you've approached it. Has it been willing? Are you um, inspired by this platform? Are you posting it? Or are you out of obligation? Like, talk to me about this journey. Uh, it's a mixed. Yeah. It's a mixed bag. Um, so, Ned, being the visionary that he is, he tried to turn me on to musically in like. 2018 wow that is he, uh, he like had an encounter with this young woman um she was i think she's like nine she worked at her, her she was at her mom's store that was in our neighborhood and he came home and he was like oh my god she was showing me this app and like <laughs> she was just going crazy for it yep. and he tried to put me on and i got on it and i remember swiping through and being like i don't know any of these people these are just random people's videos that are popping up i'm so yeah. confused and then unfortunately uh, within the first 
10 days or so of me downloading the app, I'd read this story about this young black girl who had committed suicide because of the, of getting negative comments on her musically page. And so I was like, I'm not doing this. So I just like totally ran away from it. And then, you know, fast forward a year and Lil Nas X has like the number one longest running single. Old time road came from TikTok. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And, uh, so, you know, you get back on and like definitely, you know, it it's fun as a consumer, I will say. Like, you know, you scroll all of a sudden you're looking at videos for an hour and you're like, you find five funny ones, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and you're just like, oh, let me send these right. to my friends. <laughs> right. um, but also trying to understand how to use it as an artist has been interesting because TikToks actually take a really long time to make, mm. even though they're so short, you know it'll take hours to make just one TikTok. And that can be exhausting because especially if you're doing a thing where it's like you also are adding captions and like you got to line it up right. And like, thankfully it's, you know, a user friendly enough app that like you can do some cool video editing stuff in it in itself. But it's tough. It's like not, it, it, things are not as easy. Although like there are some things that pop off super organically that are just like really silly one-off things. And the ones you spend hours on don't yeah, go anywhere. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's like, like yeah. it's one of those things where like I get super frustrated because I'm yeah. like, Oh my God, I don't want to take hours out of my day to make a TikTok that might not be seen by anybody. Right, right. Um, and then you could just do one silly thing and it could, blow up and mm. that could be a thing and it's like my most viral stuff on tiktok is from this video guilty that i've repurposed a few times but it's like i'm not that has kind of like turned into its own meme and it's like that's not who like i i made a song out of it and i think it's a pretty good song but it's one of those things where it's like i'm not trying to be somebody who's like always commenting on political things and making a song about it so it's like trying to find what who are you and how can you represent yourself? Well, that, I mean, that the guilty song that you reference, uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, watch the TikTok. It's cool. It's, it's just basically you looping and layering vocals of that motherfucker's guilty. Yes. And, uh, uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Was the first time you did that when they convicted Am- Ahmad Arbery's killers? No, it was, it or? was uh, when Derek Chauvin got convicted. When Derek Chauvin got convicted. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then you did it for Ahmad Arbery. Yeah, I reposted it for that. You did I it when the FBI with, yeah, raided Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, I, I decided that um, if and when Trump gets found guilty, I'll post it, and that'll be the last time I post it. it. That'll okay. be like the finale of like okay. Yeah. Um. So, but what's interesting in cool about that though is that sure you're commenting on social political issues um but you're doing it in your style Mm -hmm. like you're doing it in an acapella in this like looping layering thing that is like your signature which Mm -hmm. is cool which makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. it's not like you're just you're doing like a dance to it or right. you're doing a skit or a meme or whatever. And I think that's where artists miss mm-hmm. a lot of time on TikTok is that they try to trait they try to chase trends right. that have nothing to do with their music or mm-hmm. are totally contradictory to who they are as an artist. Totally. Just to try to get the views. And maybe one of them one of those videos goes viral. But it's like you're not getting fans. Like, what is your ultimate goal here? It's Mm -hmm. not to get followers and views and likes on TikTok. Who cares about Mm -hmm. TikTok? TikTok's going to be gone or change or whatever. It doesn't matter. Your ultimate goal is to get fans, 
lifelong fans to your right. music. And by doing this, it's like, sure, you're commenting on something at the moment, but doing it in a way where someone might be intrigued enough to dig deeper. Mm-hmm. Like, this is cool. Let me see who what she's about. Mm-hmm. And then they dig into your music like, oh, she does this. Like, yeah. she layers, she loops, she does the vocals. But what was really inspiring was actually the promo TikTok video that uh, you did for Please Don't Leave Me Now, which also... Um, that uh, I think it's, uh, I mean, it, it did really well, at like hundreds of thousands of views for a promo video for TikTok. Um, and what was interesting is just like, it's it's such a simple video. It's just like you there, like selfie holding the phone and you're singing this um, acapella live, just like outside and you put captions on the screen of like, I almost died in a car accident. Not the lyrics of what you're singing. So now I'm watching this. I'm like, this is a perfect TikTok. It was like, this is one of the best album promos and I'm a single promo. I'm like, okay, I'm going to study this. I want to like show people this because it's like, it's, it's done really well. And I'm curious how much you thought about this, but like, it's like, you're singing these lyrics. The words are not on the screen. We're so accustomed to seeing the captions, but it's, explaining this song i almost died in a car accident then you start singing this um you know the opening line uh what is all forgiven when it's said and done could it be uh we're living all wrong and it's like oh wow like that that lyric hits you hard but also it hits you hard this caption is like oh my gosh she almost died and this is a song but and it like leads into that Mm -hmm. and it's like wow like this is like one of the best single promo tiktok (laughs) videos i've ever seen talk to me about putting that one together that was really just like i needed to put something out about the song um ned was like you should just sing the song to the camera i went in our backyard and i was singing it and then I, i i did maybe like seven takes or something and i didn't want the captions to be too busy. So mm-hmm. I was like, let me just explain the song. Yes. This is what this is what it was. This is what it is. This is what I did with it. Boom. Yes. And that I you know the things that you don't think about as much <laughs> are the things that end right. up working. That's yeah. what guilty was too. It's like uh-huh. I had it in my head and I did it in like start to finish. It was done in 10 minutes and then it was like, all right, here we go and then like it blows up. And yep. then the things that I spend all this time on, it's like 1000 views. So, so yeah, 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 I think no, sometimes totally. you just got to like get out of your own way and just do the first thing that comes to mind because that might be the most natural thing that you're thinking of and that people might connect with. It's great. Um, I want to uh, take some questions from the audience. If you do have questions, uh, please line up right here at this mic and then we'll just kind of go in order. Um, if you have questions about anything, uh, please do that. Um, so, uh, you just announced your next single, God Herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the acapella, one of the acapella songs mm-hmm. on the record. Um, talk to me about this song, uh, where it came from, why you chose to, um, like, what it's about, and kind of was it intentional that you knew you wanted a few acapella songs on the record amongst everything else that you were doing? Yeah, I th- so th- a few things. That is a song where I started one place and I ended up someplace else, like we were talking about earlier in the conversation. I was trying to write what I would call a bad bitch song. Okay. Um, I was listening to like Feeling Myself, you know, Savage Remix. I was just like getting into that headspace of like, yeah, I'm writing a bad bitch song. And I wrote this beat and it was taking me forever ever to figure out something and i kind of just one day was like all right let me just like 
put a pause on this, think about something else. I found this voice note of me playing a chord progression on the piano that I was like, oh, let me play this again. And I liked it and it was a, a loop. So I was like, let me loop, let me like put it as a voice thing mm-hmm. in Ableton. And it just, it just came out. It was like one of those songs. It was like one of the easiest songs I've ever written. It just, the whole thing came together in like 48 to 72 hours. Wow. It's also one of those songs where it was like, literally every idea I heard in my head came out. Like there was not a missing piece from Mm. it. And I... It, I think it might be my favorite song on the album, yeah. honestly, um, which is funny because I've been trying to like get away from the acapella thing. And then it's like, of course, yeah. the acapella song is like my favorite. Right. Um, but it's also the first time I've had an acapella song where there are other vocalists featured on it. So when the background vocals with lyrics come in, those yeah. are my friends, Jay Horde and Melissa McMillan. I was curious about that because I, I did hear some uh, lower register yes, vocals. Yes, not happening. me. Okay, was I was, was going to ask you about that. was not me. That's Jay Horde, who is an incredible vocalist. Cool. Um, and so I think that adds another element to it. It's also, in terms of the arrangement, is different than other acapella songs that I've written. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it was very intentional to have... So there are two acapella songs on it, and they are, if if you hear the album on vinyl, they're the last songs on the A side and B side. Nice. So it's a very much like an intentional mirrored, this is how one side ends, that's how the other side ends. And like I said, that song, Good Night, it was like I'd written a whole other bed of music underneath it, and then I was like, actually, I just like the vocals. Yeah. So I'm just going to do that. Amazing. And I think that it also just made sense from, you know, I started acapella, and I think that there are a lot of people out there who really like my acapella stuff. I know that there are a lot of people out there who like my acapella stuff. And it was like, let me honor that fan base too by saying like, here's some of that for you yeah. as well. And like, that's still part of me. I'm, I'm not trying to abandon that because at the end of the day, it's like vocal harmony is my bread and butter. I'm really good at it. Yeah. And I wanted to show that in that respect. And, you know, it's also because it is a, a like a woman empowerment song, we very much intentionally released it during Women's History Month. So, you know, that's part of the rollout plan. Yes. As they say. I <laughs> love it. Uh, but yeah, so that was, that's what's up with that one. I'm very great. excited about it. Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, do you have a question? Please come to the mic and, and ask your question. First, say your name, where you're from, and then your question. Okay. Hi, I'm Sandra. I'm an Hi. artist manager. I'm currently managing an independent artist as well. Oh, nice. Um, I am, well, now located in L.A., and one thing I wanted to ask about your relationship with Ned being your manager, um, the artist that I manage, I'm also really close friends with her. So how does like church and state and like when Ooh. almost you talked about like the gas, the the gas tank running out and mm-hmm. stuff like that. When do you know being like, because, you know, he is your husband and he wants to, he cares about you as a person as well. When do you go from like, oh, this is something that I have to do, but I'm really tired or I had a really rough day as an acting manager, sometimes they're like, no, well, this needs to be done mm-hmm. versus like, okay, we can table this. This is just an example. But like, there's a lot of things that arise from that. And I'm wondering how, in your experience, how that has worked. Mm, I think that is something that constantly evolves. I don't think there's one correct answer for that. I think it's a case by case basis because there are certain things where it's like, I am tired. Can this wait till tomorrow? 
And sometimes it can, and sometimes it actually can't. Sometimes it's like, no, we actually, we are beholden to some other folks that need this to come out. Or if we don't do this in time, this might mess up the rest of the plan. And you kind of just got to be like, we are in this mode right now. We are in the the work mode, even if it's like 11 p.m. And, you know, like we might still be in work mode. We, we have tried things where it's like, oh, after X time, like, let's not do any business stuff, but then stuff comes up and it's like, you can't control that in the same way. So you can't have those boundaries as strict in the same kind of way. You kind of just have to be like, okay, is this actually something that can wait? Is this something where like, we can actually just take the time to just like be in this relationship right now and not be in the business partnership? Or do we actually need to get this business stuff done right now? And just like, have this moment of discomfort so that we can relax in the morning so that we can sleep in versus like, Oh, we didn't do that thing last night. So now we got to wake up and and the day is going to start super stressful. So I think you really just have to take it at a case by case basis of like, can we afford to make this a thing where we can relax for a second or should we just get this done and knock it off the list? Like the dishes, like the dishes. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Thank you for asking that question. Do you have another one? Yes. Hi, I'm Spence. I'm from Seattle, and I'm an artist. Um, and this question kind of for both of you guys, because uh, both of you are in the short form, short video, short form content world, I guess you would say. Um, I'm curious. Do you think this this bubble is gonna pop? Do you think the pendulum is gonna swing back towards long long form content and sensationalist stuff, getting all the views, is is eventually gonna hit the end of its road, or do you just kind of think this is the world we're in now? I think so. I think that the the bubble will burst from the standpoint of, you know, I think we are coming into a space where people are really craving quality. Um, And the thing is, is that you can definitely find quality in these short form situations. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be a long form thing to be quality, but I do get the sense that people are getting a little over the like just attention for attention sake vibe. Um, I think that's always going to have a place. Like I think that there's, we're always going to be drawn to attention grabbing things. And I think regardless of which way the pendulum swings, that's always going to be true. But at least in the community of people that I'm around, I do get the sense that folks are just kind of tired of like all the just attention for attention sake stuff and that people are really gravitating towards quality. And I honestly, I think that that's something that's been helpful in my own career is like people have like the people know that I, I bring a quality show. Like I, I sing all my stuff live you know, I, I, and I think that people still really embrace that and people still want that. And we're just going to get tired of people doing the same things over and over and over. At least I hope so. I'd like to hope that I'm, I'm trying to have an optimistic view about this because if I don't, then I'm just going to crumble. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, it's really, I mean, authenticity gets thrown around a lot and whether, whether you're authentic within uh, 30 seconds or 30 minutes yeah. or 30 30 years, Mm -hmm. I think that is what people are attracted to. And currently the medium that a lot of people are discovering new artists through is through the short form video app right now and and whatever. But the people, the artists that are going to stick with, uh, the fans that are going to stick with their artists over the course of their life 
uh, are the ones who bring their truest selves to whatever medium we have of the moment. So whether that's TikTok or YouTube or the stage or Spotify or Apple or whatever the next thing is, it's just like fans can kind of see through the bullshit. And so it was kind of what I was talking about before of, of chasing artists, you know, the people that don't really know who they themselves, they don't know themselves and they don't know who they are. They, they're chasing the trends and they're going to fall away. Um, the ones that are staying true to themselves and representing themselves authentically through whatever medium we have, whether it's a uh, TikTok or it's on stage, those are the artists that are going to have built in building those lifelong fans. Uh, we're going to take one more question and we'll be sticking around, uh, afterwards, but, uh, yeah, there's a little thing, but I want to take one more question for the, for the show. Hi, Madison. I'm Hi. a fan. I came last year to your show at the Central Presbyterian Church. Oh, thank you. I hope everyone goes to see her tomorrow night. Yeah, Nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Um, I'm also an entrepreneur here in Austin in the music tech space, and I'm trying to see if building that relationship between artists and their fans. I know there's tons of social media platforms out there, so it's kind of a follow-on question to that, but what do you think has the best kind of positive environment for like your fan relationship, or do you think there's still a need for for a place where like everybody can really come together and bridge that relationship. Okay, so one of the most helpful things that I did during the pandemic, because I couldn't connect with folks at shows, we set up a texting number that folks could reach out to. And, you know, it was really me on the other line. And um, we were able to just have a fan relationship in that way that I think was incredibly helpful for sustaining a fan base through the pandemic and through not having live shows. Um, I can't stress enough how important it is to just have as much contact with your fan base as possible. Um, and to the point of, you know, being independent and whatnot, being able to actually have that information yourself versus a lot of these platforms. It's like you'll like people will give their information to the third party, but you don't get to keep it yourself because it's so frustrating with certain social platforms where it's like, oh, I I put out this thing about a show and the people that I actually want to see it don't actually see it because of the algorithm or all, or anything like that. So it's like you want to be able to have as much direct contact with the fans as possible. And that's also a thing where it's like a lot of the major labels, like that's something that they'll hold for themselves, you know? So it's like you could walk away and all of a sudden you don't actually have the contact information for all of these people that really cared about you and care about your music. And so having that direct relationship, I think is incredibly important and just making sure that it's a, like you said, an authentic connection because that, that means a lot to folks. I think it means a lot when like people got a text back from me being like, Hi, like, yeah, it's actually like the amount of times that I had to send like a picture of myself <laughs> with like the date on a, on a piece of paper yeah. or something just to prove that it actually was me because people were yeah. like, this is a robot. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. no, it's not. So I think just cool. like making sure that you do that is, is really important. That is the most valuable thing that you will hear at South by Southwest. <laughs> I, I hope you just heard that and you listened to that. And, and that is honestly, that is the foundation of an artist's career in this day and age. Madison McFerrin, thank you so much. I have one final question that I ask everybody right. who comes on the show. Okay. What does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? 
Ooh, what does it mean to make it? Um, I think it means being completely sustainable and being able to live a happy, fruitful life doing what I love. Snaps. Madison <laughs> McFerrin, thank you so much. Thank that you was so much wonderful. for having me. Thank Appreciate you. it. So uh, as a quick uh, plug, I want to th uh, thank LabelCoin. I want to thank Roland uh, for having us here. Um, I also want to plug uh, Madison's playing tomorrow night. What is it? 9 p.m. 9 p.m. at Presbyterian, Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church. Go see your show. Um, I'm giving a speech tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning at 1130, how to release an album in 2023. And you better believe I'm going to be playing that TikTok video during the presentation. <laughs> Um, that's going to be at the convention center. And then Friday night, Ari's Taken Label Coin are hosting our official South by Southwest showcase, um, actually right next door at Half Step. Um, there's flyers around. Uh, would love to see you there as well. One more time, give it up for Madison McFriend. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. Today's episode was edited by Maxton Hunter, theme music by Brass Roots District, and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. Uh -huh.